Hi, everyone, and welcome to the What the Flip podcast. Don't let the name fool you. We talk about all things real estate investing in less than 30 minutes. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of What the Flip podcast. I'm super excited. Today is kind of a fun one. Next week is going to be even more fun. I was going to say funner, but I know that's not a word. Uh, today's episode is Osh. I have my first property. What now? And this episode is going to be all about what do you do once you buy a property, kind of going into uh, the specifics of getting tenants and what that looks like and how to set things up. Basically, I want to do this because everybody always talks about how to get a rental property and how to source it and how to buy it. But I feel like people kind of leave out, okay, I bought my first property. What do I do now? I'm kind of lost. And so these are kind of the trial and errors and the things that I figured out from my first property that um, have helped me. And so rather than you having to kind of figure out what works and what doesn't, I'm going to give you what worked for me. And so hopefully when you get to that point where you do buy your first property, you can come back to this episode, listen to it again, and then have everything set up and ready to go. And for those of you that already have your first property or have multiple properties, Uh, This is just good. So, you know, an idea of what I'm doing versus what you're doing. And, you know, you can toss some ideas at me and hopefully some of my ideas work for you as well. So uh, real quick. So last episode, I asked, hey, if you know the trend of what's going on in all my videos, please let me know. The first person to get it was Tony Renee all the way out in New Zealand. Uh, what it is, is I wear Under Armour every episode. I don't get sponsored by them. I just, it's cold in the basement and Under Armour seems to be what I'm wearing when I record these in the middle of the night. So that's what I'm wearing today. Under Armour. Don't ask me where this community college is or where the school is. I have no idea. I just have the shirt. Uh, and then secondly, I just want to say thanks to everybody who's listened. Um, I appreciate the feedback and, and all the stuff that I'm getting, Next episode is going to be really fun because I've gotten a lot of random questions over the last few weeks uh, and even over my period of being a real estate investor and real estate agent. So I'm going to answer some of those crazy questions and and hopefully give you some funny things and some serious things and just things to consider uh, and how I approach stuff. So next episode should be really fun. It's just going to be all Q&A. So if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to me. You can find me on Facebook at Legacy Investment Holdings. You can also find me on Instagram at the same name. Uh, feel free to shoot me a message on either one of those. And I'd love to answer your question on the next episode. So please look out for that next Wednesday. Um, so jumping into Osh, I bought my first property. What now? This episode is going to be all about what do you do once you have your first property? And so... Kind of, I'm going to talk about just the basics and I won't get into too much detail, but I want to walk you through what I did and and kind of what it looks like and give you ideas of how to set your structure up and and what to be aware of when you're talking to tenants and all that. Um, So the first thing, uh, if you remember from the last episode, we talked about getting your property ready. So you want to make sure it's clean from head to toe. So hopefully you already had a cleaning company come in there, uh, make sure that Bathrooms, bathrooms in particular, people will go into the bathroom, check the grout, check the toilet. That for some reason is just like an end all be all for people outside of the kitchen. It's next to the bathrooms and how clean are the bathrooms. And that can really make or break somebody wanting to lease the places, you know, having a spotless bathroom. So just make sure that that's very presentable. But you've already had it cleaned. You've gotten professional pictures done. Like I said, if you're good with the iPhone camera, you have 
you know, a, a DSLR or DSR. Sorry, I have no idea what the the acronym or whatever for the camera is. But you have a nice camera, and you get pictures taken. That's great. But if you don't, and you don't have that ability, like make sure you hire somebody who knows how to take pictures of a home, whether it's somebody who takes pictures of listings or, or somebody who's just a photographer and has that skill set. You want to make sure that you get the best angles possible. And, you know, they catch a lot of things and, and fix a lot of things and they're editing that you're not going to catch. And so it's great to have somebody who has that second eye. If you're not very good with that, it's worth the hundred or 200 bucks that you're going to spend. Because uh, hopefully your property is going to be leased up way before it would be if you had terrible pictures. So uh, it should pay for itself in the end. So you got the pictures. You listed it on whatever listing site you use. I use Turbo Tenant. Like I said, personally, I love it. They do the background check for me. They put it out to every single system out there except for Craigslist. And they even show you how to put it on Craigslist and give you uh, literally a link that you just copy and paste. And it fills it all out for you. So uh, there's a bunch of places out there, but I just really love Turbo Tenant. It's free. Uh, it's a good one to use. So you've gotten a bunch of calls. What now? Well, the first thing you should do is you should have a Google number. And the reason I say that is because you're going to get so many calls and you're going to get text messages as you buy more rental properties. You want to be able to kind of distance yourself between your personal number and a business number. So if you don't have a business number, Google is a great uh, choice to set up a business account. Uh, I mean, just set up a phone number in general. I have a Kansas area code because that's where I grew up. And then I have a Colorado one because that's where I do my business. And so my business account uh, number is through Google and it just works really well because that's all I give my tenants and they don't have my personal number. So I know if a text comes in through that number that it has to be a tenant or it has to be a client or it has to be somebody who knows me out in Colorado Whereas if I get a call or a text on my 913 number, you know, I, I know that that's family or friends or, or somebody who should have that number from, you know, I've had it for 10 years. So it's nice to be able to separate the two. And, and you can look that more on Google, Google, Google numbers, which is kind of ironic, but it's a really great thing to have. It's a free service. I recommend it for everybody. Kind of separate yourself. Um, so people are calling and they're texting you. They're emailing you respond. That's the next thing that you have to do is you have to be quick to respond. And what I mean by that is you don't have to email them back or call them back instantly when they call you, but acknowledge it. So if they call you and you can't answer the phone, shoot them a text. Not everybody texts, but you know, say, Hey, I got your call. I'll give you a call as soon as I get a chance. Um, or email them back and say, Hey, you know, I'm a little busy right now, but let me give you a call or let me email you this evening and I'll give you more details on the property. Let them know that you're interested in having them rent your property. Uh, a lot of times, if you don't catch somebody in the first five to 15 minutes, they've moved on to somebody else. You can't think that you're the only property that they're looking at. Uh, you know, the nice thing about Craigslist and Zillow and Trulia and all those things out there is there's so many properties out there for rent uh, that you want to make sure that you stand out by one, providing great customer service by responding really quickly, but then two, with your pictures. Um, so if you're doing all this work ahead of time and making sure that you have a great property, great pictures, but you don't respond to people in a timely manner, it, it doesn't matter what you do. You're kind of dropping the ball right there. So make sure you respond to people. The way that I handle showings is I made the mistake in the beginning of doing individual showings. And so I asked people, 
what time works for you. You know, being a real estate agent, I was really flexible on time and I had the time to do that. But I quickly realized I would go to a house and somebody may not show up or I would set a time and as soon as they pulled up, they weren't interested. It just didn't fit their needs. So instead, I moved into a group scenario. And what I do is I set one time and I say, hey, I'm going to be there on Saturday from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. or 10 a.m. to noon or whatever time frame you want. Uh, but if they're really interested, they're going to make that time work. And a lot of people say, you know, I'm worried about losing people. And, um, you know, honestly, if somebody's really looking for a place and they really like your place, they'll figure out a way to make that time work. And sometimes I offer two times over the weekend. I say, I'll be there on Saturday. I'll be there on Sunday as well. Um, and it's that twofold is one, you want people to value your time. And so if you set 10 appointments up and you all give them that same time frame, if, seven of them show and the other three don't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't feel like somebody stood you up because you still have those other seven people there. The second thing about it is that multiple people in your house really kind of puts the pressure on the people who are interested. So uh, it's like when you're going in to buy a house, if there's another couple and they're talking about placing furniture and what they're going to do and they love the place and you love the place too, you're a little more of like, let's get the ball rolling. What do I need to do? Where do I sign? And that's kind of the same way with running a property is if you show it to one person in the middle of the night, they think that's it. They're the only person. But if you show it to multiple people all at the same time, uh, it kind of puts a pressure on somebody who's interested. And, um, you know, you don't have to worry about, is it going to turn people off that they're looking at it with other people? Cause people really don't care. They just are looking at it for themselves and yeah, they're aware of the people around them, but uh, I think it does more to help lease your place than it does to harm you. So I, I definitely recommend setting up one time uh, or two times over the weekend uh, where it works for your schedule. And then people will kind of, it, it also helps with training. And I know that sounds really bad, but you want to train your tenants and you want to train them in the fact that you respect them and you respect their time and You'll respond to them, you know, in a timely manner, but that you also need to be respected and your time needs to be respected. And so it's kind of the first step to finding that tenant who's going to respect your time is saying, this is a time frame I'm giving you. If you can make it great, if you can't, you can't. Um, the next thing you want to do is pick a tenant. So some people call every person back and say, hey, we went with a more qualified tenant. I don't, and I know that that's frowned upon by some people, but honestly, I don't take applications from people that I'm not going to respond to. So um, anybody who sends an application, I respond to them and I let them know why I'm taking them or why I'm moving on to somebody else. And I just give a very generic answer. This is where you can get yourself into a lot of trouble with uh, how you respond to stuff. So make sure you know fair housing laws and um how to talk to tenants because you, you just never know. Some people have been caught in situations where they say something uh, that goes against fair housing rules. And you know, that, that could be a huge liability in a lawsuit. So you want to make sure you know those rules really well. If you don't uh, take some time and really read through uh, what protected classes there are and, and kind of some candid responses or some simple responses to people when you turn them down. Uh, so you picked your tenant Right when you pick your tenant, I always get what's called a holding fee. And the way I explain a holding fee to a prospective tenant is I say, hey, I'm going to hold this property for you until you move in. 
I need to collect a holding fee and the holding fee is usually going to turn into your security deposit. But, you know, I, I don't tell them that right off the bat. And I say, what a holding fee is, is it's basically a fee for me not to show it to any other person to say that you're serious. Once you move into the property, I'll take your holding fee and I'll turn it into your security deposit. If you don't move into the property, if you don't let me know within 24 hours or 48 hours of giving me the holding fee uh, that you're not going to move in, uh, that I get to keep the holding fee. And it's basically you want to make sure that not only are you getting qualified tenants, but you want to make sure that they follow through with it. Um, last thing you want to do is rent or, or get a renter in, um, you know, into the, the leasing process and get them all set up and, you know, you're waiting three months for three weeks for their lease to end and, you know, a new month to begin so they can move in if that's how you're going to play it. And then when that comes around, they say, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to go somewhere else. I found another place to live and you're left with nothing. Basically, you didn't show it to anybody else for those three weeks. You're out the rent, you're out any kind of fee. And so that's why I like to collect the holding fees because it makes people serious. Um, but then also it's kind of a win-win for both is, I get insurance that they're going to move in. And if they don't move in, I already have a security deposit. And so that helps cover some of my losses. Uh, in Colorado, it's nice because security deposit is usually um, one month's rent. And so my holding fee is one month's rent. And if they don't move in, you know, I'm set for that one month. And if they do move in, I already have their security deposit. So just something to consider. And when it comes to the word deposit, make sure that you know the difference between a fee and a deposit. And that's where people also get tripped up. Anytime I look at listings, I see a lot of times where they say a pet deposit. And really what it is, is it's a pet fee. But if you use the word deposit and somebody catches that and they're smart enough, at the end, they can say, I want all my money back. That was a deposit. My pet didn't mess up the place. I need my money back. And so even in my lease, I make sure that the words Fee and deposit are, are meant to be used as, you know, whatever they're relating to in that part of the lease. In my leases, it says a pet fee. Uh, and I just want to make sure that you guys are aware of that because I hear a lot of people say, oh, I'll charge a pet deposit or I'll charge this kind of holding deposit. And a deposit always implies that they can get their money back if they meet certain terms. So just be aware. Deposit, fee, know what you're doing. Um... So you pick the move-in time, you pick the move-in date, uh, you get the first month's rent, hopefully, when you move in. The next thing you're going to do is you're going to go uh, sign the lease once you pick the tenant. So as we talked about in the last episode, when signing the lease, there's a couple things you're going to do. You're going to have them sign the lease, and when I talk about signing the lease, I say, know your lease inside and out. Because what happens on that day when they sign the leases, they're super excited about the place and they're going to rush through whatever documents you give them. They're not going to read through it. Whatever you point out is all they're, they're going to remember. So you need to know your lease inside and out. So a couple points to uh, single family homes and even multifamily homes is you need to know who's responsible for taking care of the grass. Who's going to remove the snow? Who's going to make sure there's no ice on the ground? Is there a rule on smoking? And if so, where do they need to smoke? Can they smoke inside? Does that cost a fee or a deposit? Uh, if you have to, you know, do any smoke remediation, uh, is pot legal in your state? If so, are they allowed to smoke pot in there? Are they allowed to grow pot in there? Uh, that's a huge one in Colorado because it's legal out here. 
and I don't allow it in any of my properties. I say, even though it's legal in my property, it's not. Uh, so if you do do it, you need to do it outside the property. Um, late fees, how do late fees work? So in any of my properties, it's always, as long as I get it by the fifth, it's considered on time. The sixth is considered late. Um, and so I just set that in stone and I make sure that they know it cause I have a very stiff policy for late fees and you'll have to look, every state is different and there's a max that you can charge. And usually it's based on a percentage of rent or it's based on, uh, how many days and, and what the max per day is. So know your late fee policy and know what's allowed in your state. Uh, you just don't want to get into a situation where you've been charging somebody a late fee that's, uh, illegal. Uh, so what does the late fee look like? Can they sublet? What kind of rules apply if they sublet? Do they need permission from you? Uh, can they make alterations? And so you need to specify what's a big alteration and needs your approval and what's not. So hanging up a poster in most of my properties is something I don't need to know about. Uh, if you need to knock a hole in the wall for some reason, it's definitely something that needs approval first. And then plumbing. Plumbing is a big one too. Um, who takes care of plumbing. And so in my properties, how I handle that is that I'll send in a plumber all day long. If you tell me that there's a problem with the toilet or a problem with the sink, but if the plumber comes back to me and says, yes, it's because there's roots in your pipe or because a pipe was broken or, um, a pipe needs to be replaced, I'll pay for it. But if they say it's a clog because of tampons or you know, something was flushed down the toilet or, you know, they found something grease in the sink or in the dishwasher. That's something that I charge back to the tenants. And so I let them know beforehand that that's the case. If it's something that was caused by the house or, or caused by uh, a repair that needs to be done, I'll take care of it. If it was something that was caused by the tenant, it can be traced back to them, hair in the sink or whatever it might be, uh, that they're going to be billed for that. And I don't ever upcharge anything on those bills, but I do let them know that whatever bill I receive, I'm going to be sending their way. Uh, and then also everyday maintenance. And this one is one that you never think that you'd have to talk to a tenant about, but it's incredibly important. And when I say everyday maintenance, it's who's responsible for changing light bulbs, who's responsible for, um, you know, whatever it may be stuff that you wouldn't even think about batteries and smoke alarms. Um, just make sure your tenant is responsible for replacing those things. You don't want to have to go over there and you know, replace light bulbs because, you know, you have it in your lease that you're going to do all the maintenance. You want to make sure that they're responsible for routine maintenance or everyday maintenance, however you want to word it. Um, so that is a big part of the lease. Know your lease, know what you're having them sign and make sure you explain it to them thoroughly enough that whenever those issues come up, you can point to that and they're not surprised. And so, um, a lot of times with late fees, it's one of those things because I charge what I do. Um, I charge basically the max amount that I can charge and I charge it on day six. I point back to the lease and I say, Hey, remember on page 10 and I have them initial the bottom of every single page. So then that way it's clear that they've had to have read it or uh, said that they read it. Um, you know, remember on the bottom of page 10, it says, Hey, if you don't give me rent by you know, the end of day on the fifth, that it's going to be late on the sixth. And, you know, there's, I'm, I'm a pretty nice guy, but late fees are one of the things that I don't want to have to chase around. So I make sure that, you know, that I really drive that point home with all my tenants. So 
you've gone through the lease. The next part is the walkthrough. With the walkthrough, I recommend that you have your phone out. I recommend that, you know, you don't have to ask them to have their phone out, but, you know, that they're making notes and writing on the sheet. I give them the sheet and I have them walk through. And so anytime that they mention anything, I take a picture. And so I'll call stuff out too. So, you know, if there's a cracked mirror or cracked window or, you know, a scuff on the floor or a ding in the refrigerator, a missing shelf in the refrigerator, whatever it might be, make sure you mark down those items. So then when you go back in a year or two years or whenever they move out that you both are in agreement that those things were there. Um, you just don't want to be caught by surprise where, you know, there's a door missing off of a bedroom and it was never mentioned and now you're trying to charge them, but it, it's always been that way. So make sure that they're the ones to fill it out. You can walk with them uh, and take pictures, but they should fill it out. It should be in their handwriting and you should have them sign it. So then that way they know that you haven't changed anything and, and they can't blame you if at the end of the the term of their lease, you're doing a walkthrough and there's other stuff that needs to be paid for and taken out of their security deposit. The last one is, well, last two, your pet, what's your pet policy? How does that look? Do you need an extra document for that? And then their insurance waiver. So letting them know that, yes, I have insurance on the home and if the home burns down, I will replace the home, but I won't replace anything inside the home. Uh, all the personal property. And so they need to carry extra renter's insurance if they want to replace those things. So just letting them know and making them aware that they have that option to buy it and they can source it through whoever they want, but that you're not responsible for that and that you've let them know that that's a possibility, that you know if something does happen, you're only responsible for the house and not the belongings. Um, and that kind of is twofold. One, you know, if there's a catastrophe and something happens and there's a flood or, or whatever it might be, you don't want them looking to you to replace items. Or even if there's a burglary, you know, that's that's out of your control and you don't want them to ask you to replace things when, you know, something happened that's completely out of your control. So just make sure that you make them aware that, you know, there's renter's insurance out there and if they choose to get it, great. And if they don't, um, then that's on them, not on you. When it comes to collecting rent, I suggest creating a P.O. box. Um, the reason I suggest that is because it's super cheap. It's usually $100 a year, or, you know, depending on where you go, maybe less or maybe a little bit more. But I don't want to give anybody my address out. Uh, you know, just think of how many times you've created a fake email because you don't want, you know, some website to know who you are and you're just looking at something and they require you to put an email address in. If you're using fake email addresses, why are you giving people who are renters your real address? Do you want them to know where you live? So I suggest creating a P.O. box, paying the money, even if it's just one property. You know, there might be other options out there, but that's the simplest one that I found. Um, you know, that way you don't have to worry about anybody knowing where you live or coming over in the middle of the night and asking you for something or, or demanding something from you or, or your family or you know, just don't put yourself in that situation. So that's what I do. And then with rent as well, what I've done at my banks is um, in Colorado, you're required to hold deposits in a, a separate account and then keep track of interest and all that other stuff. So I have a, a literally account that's strictly for deposits. I don't touch it. I put deposits in there. I don't even look at it until it's the end of the lease and I have to give deposits back. 
and then I have a whole separate account for rent. Um, I used to have a separate account for every single property for rents, but uh, I just started commingling it all as far as rents go because I have an Excel document that literally splits it all up for me. So I thought it was a little excessive to have an Excel document split it up for me and then have my bank account split it up for me. Uh, and when you get up to like 14 accounts at the bank, they just look at you kind of crazy because, uh, yeah, it, it's a bit much and it's hard to keep track of them all. So just a few things. Remember, try to do group showings. Try to make sure you know your lease in and out. You got to know your lease in and out. If you're having people sign it and you're holding them to it, you need to know it way better than they do. So um, things that come up, you need to know exactly what it says. You just don't want to be caught off guard. Uh, creating a P.O. box. You know, again, you don't want to give people your address and then having separate accounts. Know your laws in your state. Know what the max late fee that you can charge is. Know how you have to hold deposits. Know what the fair housing laws are. There's a lot of rules and regulations out there, but honestly, just don't be an a-hole. <laughs> as long as you're not an a-hole and you try to follow the rules um, and you treat everybody the exact same way. That's the key. Treat everybody the exact same way and, and in a nice way, not, not in a bad way, but in a nice way. You should be fine, but the more you know about your state laws and rules, uh, the better off you're going to be. And that really comes in handy because there's going to be a time where you're going to run into a tenant who just isn't a fit. Either they're paying late, they're throwing house parties, they're being a nuisance in the neighborhood, they're growing pot, whatever it might be, and you're going to have to get rid of them. And most are going to go without a fight, but there's going to be a few out there that are going to challenge you. And so the more documentation you have, keeping text messages, keeping emails, keeping any letters that you receive, the better it's going to be for you. And so um, that kind of goes to my final point. You know, Google Drive is out there. It's completely free. There's a lot of apps that let you scan papers. I use Scannable. It works for the iPhone. Literally, I just hold my phone over a piece of paper and it scans it. Uh, and then I can save it to my Google Drive. Save everything. Save it to Google Drive. I've created, you know, literally a folder for every single property. I have leases in there. I have mortgages in there, insurance folders, um, you know, and it's just nice to have. You just want to make sure that you CYA. And if you don't know what CYA is, then Google that. Um, but that's it, guys. That's literally what you need to do when you're in that, oh, sh I have my first property. What do I do now moment? Those are the steps to get you set up. And that will get you through the first month. There's going to be other things that come up and we'll talk about those. I'm going to start bringing on some guests. I got people who are going to talk about wholesaling, uh, people to talk about appraising and how they value properties, people to talk about Airbnbs. Uh, so I have a lot of guests lined up. It's going to be great. Next week's episode is going to be awesome. It's going to be all about answering questions. So please feel free to email me questions. Uh, you can reach me at info at legacyinvestmentholdings.com or on Facebook at Legacy Investment Holdings, or on Instagram at the same name. So please feel free to reach out to me. would love to hear from you guys. Uh, I'm always interested to see who makes it all the way to the end of the podcast because I never listen to like the last two minutes of any podcast because it's a lot of just like talking about the next episode and I don't care about that. So if you're listening to this, if you reach me on any one of those platforms and say, hey, I listened to the end of your episode, if you live in Colorado or you're going to be in Colorado, I will buy you lunch or beer or both. So 
first person to hit me up, let me know. But thanks again for listening to What the Flip podcast episode. Oh, I bought my first property. What now? Uh, Next week is going to be all a Q&A on real estate investing and being a realtor and, and all that fun stuff. So you guys have a good one. I'll see you next Wednesday.